Thank you to our sponsors for supporting this episode of Troxel, Arc IT, BQE Core, and Avail. We'll share more about them later on in the episode. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have a conversation with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the co-evolution of architecture and technology. And in this episode, I welcome Randall Stevens back to the podcast. Randall is the CEO at Avail. He was previously on episode 51, so if you haven't listened to that one, I suggest you do so to get more context about the kinds of things Randall is thinking about. I've linked to it in the show notes for this episode as a shortcut. And as you'll hear in this episode, he's thinking a lot bigger than his own company and in much more of an industry-wide holistic scale. We didn't have a chance to get into it in this episode, but his approach also includes helping inform the education program at his alma mater, which is the University of Kentucky's College of Design, where he is involved in the architecture department as well. In this episode, we go deep into the inner day-to-day workflows of architecture and engineering professionals and teams and offices. We're looking at the rather large number of software titles that you are using and how you deal with the enormous amount of data that you create. The age-old question of where do I put my stuff is still alive and well, and in this episode, we talk about how the team at Avail is handling that issue, among others. The number of options out there is staggering and is something everyone at every firm is choosing to deal with, whether they are aware of it or not. Randall's addressing this head-on and working to take the where out of the equation. We also talk about the struggle of cloud fatigue, knowledge capture, encoding knowledge, the problem with turnover in the industry, pattern recognition, and so much more. So without further ado, I bring you my wide-ranging conversation with Randall Stevens. Randall, welcome back. It's great to see you again. Yeah. Good to see you. You just got off the road, right? You've been you've been talking to a bunch of people. And you do this quite often. You get out, you were in LA and then you went where were you just? Well, I was just uh in between Minneapolis and Chicago. So Minneapolis, Madison, uh Milwaukee and Chicago last week. So yeah, we try to uh you know the uh, Will Rouse, who's my account executive here at Avail, and I, you know, try to get out at least once a quarter, kind of on the road, and so we can go to regions and meet customers and prospective customers. And the uh, COVID, you know, the last two years have been really tough on us because, you know, we we like to go out and talk face to face with people. So uh, we started really last fourth quarter last year. We started making the rounds again. So we were in New York a couple of times, L.A., Southern California. And then we just made our trip to the Chicago, Minneapolis region, I'll call it. Yep, plan on doing that at least once a quarter. And then I, I was out to visit you guys. You held this event called Confluence, which I don't think we've, I haven't talked about on the show. That's super secretive. No, secret, yeah, well, no, it's everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Uh, but I have yeah. to thank you because I've gotten a few podcasts out of uh, people I met there. Oh, that good. Was fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, the, I was 
joking about it being, uh, you know, it's not, it's not, I guess it's not a public event. It's kind of invite only, but we, we started back in 2019, we did the first one and it basically is kind of a, I'll just say curated group of industry people that we try to bring together for three days. You know, it's, we, we're always clear to say, you know, this has not, this really isn't about a veil. <laughs> it's just about what are the big problems that we're all trying to solve and bring the right people together to talk about it. So I'm glad that, that you met some people maybe that you hadn't run across. Cause that's, that's the goal is it's a, it's like three quality days of getting to know each other and uh, talk about, you know, what can be deep issues that we need to be working on. And um, yeah, it's been successful. We're doing it again this October. So uh, it's a, it's a nice time of the year. I'm in Lexington, Kentucky, as you know, it's a nice time of the year to bring people to Kentucky and most have never been here unless they were asked <laughs> or invited. So it's a good opportunity for that as well. Yeah, it's very cool. I, like I said, I've gotten a few, uh, I met some new people, got a, got a few episodes out of that as far as, you know, just interesting people with interesting purpose in the profession. And I think that, you know, one of, one of the things I love about what you're doing and you're speaking to it is in regards to going out and visiting customers as well, is just having these conversations and having them often. And I, I, what I'm interested to hear from you is what are the things that you're seeing bubble up to the top? I know there's a lot of stuff around, <laughs> we've talked about this ahead of time, obviously, but like, where, where do I put my stuff, right? That there's, there's so many clouds out there, right? <laughs> to put things, there's on-premises, there's on your local, there's just so many things. And, and you guys in the content business, I'm sure are aware of this potentially more than, than others. Cause a lot of people design, you know, a lot of software as a service companies out there are developing their own, another place, yet another place to put stuff. And so you're kind of dealing at the, at the ground boots on the ground level with this kind of stuff. We talking to customers. So what, what is bubbling up to the surface in regards to content and, and where people are storing things and how you guys are attacking that problem? Because as far as I can tell, it's a huge problem. Yeah, I think, you know, what I'll say is just in the context of what we've been working on at Avail, it's better to, you know, the old saying, it's better to be lucky than, than good. And sometimes you just kind of, I think, get lucky that you're approaching some of these problems, you know, because we, when we started working on, you know, what's become Avail, you know, really back in 2014, 15 uh, work on this, you know, cloud was the new thing, right? People were talking about cloud this and cloud that. And um, we kind of took the early approach of uh, trying to be agnostic. You know, we use that word a lot. And uh, actually, it was just a funny side note this morning in one of our meetings, it was like the number one of the number one searched things on our knowledge base is what do, what do you all mean when you say content agnostic? So I'm not sure that everybody, you know, talks that language and really, you know, kind of ties into, I think, a, a, a big problem with new problems is that people, there isn't a language necessarily to describe it. So I've always enjoyed that part of it. It's like, you kind of get this sense of problems kind of always think of it as like, what's the, are we directionally correct in where the problem is, you know, cause it's sometimes amorphous and, and difficult to describe. And, um, you know, so if, if you go back five years ago, it was like five, six, seven years ago, it was like, cloud was the new thing. And it was like, it was like an either or. And, uh, and the reality is, is that that, you know, 
as as I'll say, we kind of we kind of started realizing and talking about probably three years ago was like it's not going to be an either or. It's going to be and. It's not a this or that. It's going to be this and that and this place and that place. So, so that you know, that seems to be everybody's new dilemma is you know the the where we have information is is in multiple places now. And, you know, we've always approached the work that we're doing is, you know, you'll hear us internally a lot saying on behalf of the end user. So on behalf of the person who's actually trying to work in these environments, you know, they have no, you know, a lot of times I take a lot for granted. I've been around computers my until, you know, entire adult life and, you know, have a pretty good understanding of what a network is and where things are, at least build mental maps for that. But, you know, that's not everybody. And it's, it's as we, as these things get more complicated, you know, we forget it's like for those of us that are building the technology, it's like, man, we forget that the average, average person just has, you know, if it, if it didn't where they thought it was or remember where it was, they're not quite sure where to go look. So it's, you know, it's overly complicated. Now it's getting more complicated, not only more information, but more complicated about where all this stuff lives. And, um, you know, we've been trying to you know, solve that part of the problem. Yeah, it's interesting to think of from a couple different perspectives. I think about my kids when I think about stuff like this. Then I think of how like, they don't even use a file system. They, the stuff is, is in the app, right? And I'm using air quotes there, and which, is, which is some cloud location somewhere. It might be on device, but it likely isn't. And then I think of how Google has kind of trained everybody, right? It's like, who cares where it is? Just find it surface it from wherever it is and pull it all together with with some super smart search algorithm and smart metadata tagging and all these things and thinking about like the next generations that are coming thinking like that right like i don't there's no hierarchy there's no structure there's no folder there's none of this stuff it's just find me the thing that i was working on and Good luck finding it later, right? Like in three years when the lawsuit comes. <laughs> so what what happens then? And you think about kind of just what is in your domain, in your office, and the legalities and the requirements behind that, and then having all these options. And I think, you know, one thing that I saw when I was running digital practice at HMC was very much that. It's like users were just, because IT didn't have machines locked down at one point, everybody was just installing Dropbox. Uh, and then they put in teams in place and and then everybody had OneDrive. And then we've got email, we've got Outlook, people emailing files to themselves and they've got it on their C drive and they've got it somewhere on the server. But the reason they keep it on their OneDrive is because, well, they kind of know where it is, where on the server, it's under some job number that doesn't show up when I search for the name of the project. Or, you know, there's all these issues why people decide to do this. And it was like, where the hell do I put my stuff? There's no answer. And I, I remember talking to Nick Cameron at Perkins and Will once, and he's like, yeah, I just stopped caring where people put stuff. We declared bankruptcy and just said, your project manager, you're responsible for your team's files and whatever that means, right? <laughs> because they couldn't implement an office standard that everybody would adhere to under all circumstances. And that's where things get crazy. And I think, I mean, it sounds to me like that those are the users you're talking to and that's what they're telling you is like, 
yeah, where do I put it? Do I put it in Teams? Do I put it in OneDrive? Do I put it on my server? Do I put it in my, like, where does it go? Yes, it's yes, just, yes, yes, and yes. And, right? and like you said, it's not yeah. either or, it's and, right? Yeah, and uh, as I was traveling last week, you know, we were, you know, a lot of that for us is just confirming, are we working on the right things? What are you all seeing? Or we're trying to get a get a feel for, um, you know, directionally, what, what do you all see as the next problem and is what we're, we're doing confirm, you know, we're trying to just confirm and or learn something new that we can, a lot of times the learning I'd say gets reduced. I don't say reduced. It's probably, it sounds like a bad word, but reduced to the feature. Like, Hey, here's very specific things that we, you know, now that we're using your products that we, that would be helpful. So we gather those, but the, the big things that may, you know, I think about and work on are like, the big directional things, what, what's going on at this kind of really 50,000 foot view uh, that are the problems that we can start that we either continue to work on or think about working on that's, you know, over the next year or two um, next, next generation of features and capabilities. So, so that's kind of the purpose of why we go out and have those interactions. And, you know, a lot of this uh, it, you know, confirmed with several, you know, I'd say, it's probably everybody has the problem, but you can imagine it's exacerbated the bigger the organization gets because now, you know, you can't have the wild West at scale, right. Or else it just becomes, you know, it's, it's interesting. You're talking about Nick at, at Perkins and will, right. So obviously a large organization. It'd be interesting to, to, you know, have him on here with us talking about that, right. In the context. And a lot of it, uh, you know, I think there's a couple of things. One, it's, you know, it's, it's, this stuff's going to be in all these places, but it's hard for somebody that's trying to manage it to see all of that uh, from the fr- from the back, you know, kind of view or, or kind of administrative level to understand it, just so that they can at least help those people, uh, you know, in the teams, right at that level of what they're trying to do. Um, but you know, I think what I'm hearing is that there's not 50 locations yet, uh, you know, and they're trying to consolidate to yes, we're we're in Autodesk. M 360 and construction cloud, but we're also using Microsoft teams and OneDrive and Azure, but we might also be using, you know, Nasuni and a Panzura system or a ignite, um, you know, different places where the cloud information is like one of the things that we've been, uh, just as an example, one of the things that we've been, uh, working on and, you know, the, the, what I tell customers, we, we actually with the avail software have, the ability to host info in, in our own avail cloud for them. But my counsel has been like, why would you, if, if we can support, which is one of our mantras is we should be able to support you using whichever cloud environment you want. So if you're already have chosen a corporate that you're using BIM 360 or you're using one of these, why would you add, why would you proactively add another one? Like, the answer is no. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to answer no for you. Yeah. But I think that's back to, uh, I think it's back to, it's not necessarily the first thing that people think. They, you know, they think about these things being point solutions instead of like an infrastructure uh, of, of what we're doing and what we, and what the capability is. So, um, you know, five years ago, yeah, every solution had its own cloud. And I think that'll, you know, that'll, that'll probably continue. There'll be services or features that you're going to want to use, choose to want to use, and it's going to have its own reason for having some cloud storage. And, you know, you have to deal with those as you come, but there'll be these common places for like common 
storage environments uh, that the companies are going to decide to use. And it's like, don't, don't add another one. Let's just use what you're already supporting. And, and I call it, let's call it cloud fatigue. I think that's a, well, it's, it's uh yeah, it's, if it's, if you're not already experiencing it's coming. Right. And uh, you know, people probably saw this a little bit with Dropbox in the early days and those types of things, you know, on-prem versus a Dropbox. But now it's just, like you said, the, the next generation is just going to be like, why should I have to care about that? It's just, you know, that we, we keep saying our, the goal should be to remove where from the equa- equation. It shouldn't, it should just really be a matter of authentic, what we would say authentication. Am I authenticated? Do we know who you are? And do you have access to this information? If you do, you should be able to put your hands on it. Not, you shouldn't have to be worried about where I have to go look here, go look there, go look some other place. So. Because there are benefits, like you're saying, to having things in certain places. Dropbox is, as an example, you can do markups on the files in Dropbox that you can't do like on a Windows file server, right? Same thing with BIM 360, I assume. There's there's reasons why it makes sense to store certain things there, even though it probably could store other things there as well or does. Um it's not as potentially useful for those other things. So I could definitely see that. Yeah. If you've heard me talking about this over the last couple of years, I've started saying, you know, content files, information wants to live in very specific places for very specific reasons. And we view that as our job should be to support that, not to fight it and and ask you to put your information in some other place. And, and, for all those reasons, you may find that um, there may be a killer feature in some new place that comes to that that information wants to live. So, pub, you know, I always I, I try to separate it technically from where is where is information stored. So uh, at Avail, we've started. You'll probably hear more of us this year talking about this concept of bring your own storage. Like you should be able to bring whatever storage, and our goal is to support it uh, wherever you've chosen. And, you know, some of that we didn't, we can talk about this if you want a little bit, but, you know, sometimes it's for contractually or for a lot of times now security reasons that data sovereignty has to, that information and data needs to live in specific places for very specific reasons. So you have to be able to support that. But, um, but you may also then, as you were, you know, alluding that there may be a storage solution that has a very specific feature that you want to use for very specific reasons. I want to put my PDFs in Dropbox because so they have a nice markup tool. Okay, maybe all your PDFs are going to end up living there, but your other information is going to live somewhere else. And, yeah, those are in the Bluebeam cloud, right? That's they're in that cloud over there. I, what what did you see happen to the industry during COVID when? Everybody went to work from home and BIM 360 just took off like a rocket. Well, I was having this conversation with one of our larger customers I was with last week. You know, the, the, what we saw writ large. The good and the bad. I'm, I'm assuming there's, <laughs> there's a whole spectrum. Yeah. The, uh, the technical part obviously was everybody's networks, I'll say, you know, went into some mode of like, a, of stress. Let's just call it, they went under stress. So, uh, you know, now all of a sudden, where most everybody probably still had some on-prem network, not accessing that that network from remotely became either stress because you were VPNing and didn't have the infrastructure for being able to handle that, or you began. You know, the other was we did start to see lots and confirmed by 
you know, through conversations with our customers that a lot of them began moving projects, uh, you know, Autodesk BIM 360, uh, if you ever doing work in Revit became, you know, very popular. You can, you can go look at Autodesk's public information and see how much that that side of it grew for them. So a lot of, a lot of info moved to the edge, moved to these cloud environments and, you know, but it put the workflows in a, in a disarray, I'll say the workflows changed. So now you can ripple down to those end users. It was like, nobody likes it when things change. So as soon as that changes, you've got some period of time to try to, uh, to uh, get people used to whatever the new workflows are going to be. So all of that, uh, you know, I think was happening across the industry. I think the good part of it was it did uh, think good from a company's standpoint that they had to figure out. They were a lot of times things that would maybe take a year or years change management were forced to happen in weeks. So, so from a corporate standpoint, there was a lot of good from, Hey, there's no waffling. This is going to change. Let's, you know, there's nothing like having your back against the wall to force change, right? It's a little so, interesting to see what some urgency can do. Right? So it did. And I've heard, <laughs> yeah. I've heard that from several. It was like, we were trying to move the organization in this way. And then, you know, when it hit the fan, we, we, we got permission to go and double down on it. So from that standpoint, there was a lot of good, right? It's like, okay, it's painful. There's some risk, but we got through it. You know, I think it also made that, I think it hardened people's environments where they had disaster recovery plans. And hopefully they, for those that had some semblance of it, they got to test it and hopefully were hardened uh, because of it and, uh, and got to figure that part of it out. You know, for the end users, you know, the, I think, you know, what everybody probably hears, not just in this industry, but everywhere else, it's like, you know, they, they didn't have to commute. So they, they, you know, if you were commuting a long distance to work, you got those hours back, but they probably got consumed in work <laughs> or most, you know, a large percentage of that got consumed back into work. Probably some mix of flexibility with the number of hours, but maybe, maybe I can be gone for two hours this afternoon because my kid's got a baseball game and I'll come back and work two more hours this evening or something. And uh, so, I, you know, we're hearing lots of that as we talk to customers about what went on and is still going on. It's been interesting as we're, as we've been out on the road the last few months, just some operations are everybody's back in the office for the most part. And then some are still like a ghost town. So there's still a, quite a mix as we've visited uh, different clients. One of the benefits, well, I don't know. It depends who you talk to about this one, but one thing that I saw a, a benefit happen was BIM 360 only worked with like three versions of Revit and there were probably five or six versions cycling through the office because of the old, all the folklore around don't upgrade your version of Revit for a project once you start it. At least that was the thinking that was kind of pervasive amongst certain teams and people. So IT was supporting many versions of Revit and to get onto the cloud, you had to upgrade stuff and you had, to, like you said, like this mad rush of preparation and and bringing things up to date getting them there having people access them checking if things were broken what changed because of that was a a fury (laughs) of an activity but it was also really great in the end because it consolidated a lot of things down to a workable number of options instead of just like you said the wild west 
Yeah, for sure. So I think uh, for those that were pushing to get these kinds of things done, that it was a you know a godsend that <laughs> there was basically like, hey, we don't have any choice anymore. We've got to we've got to do this and move. And you know, like I said, I think it's human nature. People don't like to change or resist change. So sometimes just a little bit of a push uh, gets things moving forward. So I think we yeah. just saw that. Well, you mentioned being kind of platform or cloud agnostic, like location agnostic, but also, I mean, that automatically also puts you in the file type or content agnostic business as well, right? <laughs> if you're talking about different locations for different things, we're just naturally by default talking about different things. So how do you guys see that? I mean, we we're talking about offices that how many file types are there that people are using? There's, I mean, there's obviously content Hundreds. providers out there that are not necessarily thinking about file types anymore, right? Um, but, but there's there are a lot of them. So what what are we talking about when it comes to like AEC or AE working with with files and file types and content types? Hundreds. I mean, we've seen we've seen over a thousand different types of files being managed, you know, uh, with Avail. So, you know. If you talk to a large organization, it's not, and if they've done the work to kind of audit what's being used in the workflows, there's always five or six kind of big, I'll just say big kind of platforms that are, you can Usual be suspects. At, right. Yeah. Like, okay, we're, yeah, we're using Revit. And there's some AutoCAD still going on and we're using Bluebeam. You know, you get that. But then when you dig down into all the plugins and all of the, uh, you know, just other applications, standalone applications or stuff in the workflow in a large organization. It's not unusual to see a hundred to 200 different pieces of software being used in the workflows. And I've seen those, I've seen, you know, a lot of our customers have shared those maps of here's all of this. So for us, when we, when we, you know, for those of you that maybe are new to avail um, you know, we, we set out from the very beginning to, to be, we call it horizontal. We wanted to be able to handle anything, you know, ultimately the, the initial push was to sit in front of the file system so that we can solve some of the problems of just what it meant to get to, you know, the, the limitations of the current, you know, windows file explorer, right. How do we solve that part of the problem? So that drove us to being like, Hey, this isn't just a Revit problem. Let's, let's approach this as it's a access to files and that, uh, part of the problem. So that's how we went about, uh, you know, kind of setting the, what we were trying to solve and, um, you know, but, it, uh, it, it, you know, so it's easy to think about that, you know, in this industry, everybody that's everybody that works, I'll say in the AE part of it, design and engineering part of it, their job is to basically sit with pieces of software get information out of their head into this. And then ultimately those pieces of software usually are putting that information out into, you know, capturing it and putting it into a file. And then that file is the record or the way you transfer that information to somebody else. So if you think of it like that, then you think about how much information that's being created every day. And it's like the amount is going through the roof, right? Orders of magnitude, more if you you know last week i was talking to to some of these customers it's like the volume of information that is being created you know we used to measure this in terabytes now it's in exabytes and you know terabyte 
terabytes are being created a month, right? So, you know, it's like you can, you can see all of this just continuing to, to be exponential growth. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's a big problem that isn't going to get, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And uh, so now, you know, back to what you were talking about uh, with, you know, Google solving or, or, or people getting used to being like, how come it's not that easy? You know, or could it be that easy? One of the claims, and, and I could be completely wrong about this, but I started claiming that the, the problem of finding a very specific file or very specific information is not the same problem that Google solved. So I've claimed that like this problem of finding a specific file is harder than what Google has done. Yes, they've crawled. But when you think about it, you type something in the search box, they have to find a result that satisfies you, not a very specific thing, because God forbid that the what you really needed was on page 80 of their search results. You would never, they're not going to lead you to that. You know, a lot of times if, you, if you're looking for a very specific file or information, that's a lot harder problem to say. We've got millions of documents across the organization historically. It's like, how do I get to exactly the one that I'm thinking about or that I know? Or you may not know that it exists and you're trying to find it. So it's a, it's a little bit different problem set uh, to solve. And um, anyway, we've been, we're always trying to put the framework together. Like, how do you even think back to, how do you even think about describing what the real problem is? And, and only then can you go about solving it. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. Arc IT. I'm going to stick a review in this time. So here's a review from an actual customer of ArcIT. The team at ArcIT has been fantastic. After years of struggling with unsatisfactory workarounds, security breaches, slowdowns, and poor IT assistance, they're extremely pleased with ArcIT. The architecture firm of 40 employees with two offices is in great hands. And that was Zachary Goodman, who is a principal architect at CSDA Design Group. So... As business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? Typically, only when things go wrong. And for many of us, unfortunately, this happens too often, especially with the latest emphasis on remote work. I know that I've had to deal with my fair share of IT fire drills. Not pleasant. ArcIT, however, is a very different kind of company. They specialize in serving architecture, design, and engineering firms. And their goal is to help you use technology as a competitive advantage. This means that they understand your technology stack and they won't waste your time and money learning how your tools work within your process. Combine that with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, and solid disaster recovery and backup solutions. That's something that everybody should be thinking of, honestly. And enterprise-grade security management. And yet, above all, these are just table stakes for a solid IT company. ArcIT goes a step further they become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business processes. So all of this sounds expensive, right? Nope, because ArcIT is highly specialized for our industry. Their pricing is on par or in some cases even lower than other IT providers. ArcIT is transparent and even publishes the pricing right on their website. Uh, Speaking of their website, there's also something else you should check out when you're there, and that is their Design Under Influence blog and video series. Again, adding value to IT-type solutions across industry, all good stuff. So your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner. Reach out to my friends at ArcIT for a free consultation. 
So go to getarchit, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com, arc-like architecture in the middle, and click work with us. In this podcast, I talk a lot about all the realities with my guests, you know, mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, all the realities. And I've got a new message for you from my friends at Avail. Let's talk about the new reality, which is that content, as I've talked about in the previous message from them, both wants and needs to live everywhere. Long gone are the days of saving files to your local hard drive or to a single on-premises server. In order to solve remote collaboration, information has moved to the edge. The cloud is king, and the number of cloud services out there dictate that the number of storage locations will continue to grow dramatically. Where do you store your files? BIM 360, OneDrive, SharePoint, Box, Dropbox, AWS, Azure. Chances are you probably save them in some weird combination of those that I just mentioned and more. Well, here's the point of this message. Avail hides the complexity of where content and information resides. What file to use used to be your biggest concern. Now it's where do all those files live. Avail takes where out of the equation, which means that with Avail, you can actually find your mission-critical and not-so-critical files too, right when you need them. Avail helps get you the information you need faster. Go to getavail.com today to learn more. Systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures. But you struggle with choosing the systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by an acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, FAIA, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Teeger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com slash masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com slash masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and is brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. And now let's get back to our conversation. I often feel like architects are looking for something and they're not even sure what the right question is to ask. Not everybody has the same acumen when it comes to 
obviously <laughs> when it comes to archiving things, um, they don't have the same skill sets. Um, and, and they, somebody might think a lot differently than you do when you're trying to find something that they put away one time, a long time ago. And, and now they're not around to ask anymore or whatever. I, you, you can just start to see how big this problem really is. It's, it's enormous. And then you start to talk about how many files, how much data, like you said, it's kind of exponentially growing. What, what do we do about that? And like you said, I, there, it's not going to change anytime soon, if ever. Uh, so, so do you guys have kind of best practices for this kind of thing and how do people deal with this? Or is it, is it, I'm just wondering how you approach that just understanding that landscape probably better than a lot of people. Yeah. I think at a, at a really, at a really high level, you know, what I, what I've been claiming is that you can't solve these problems with technology until you begin to get the data into a system. So the first thing is you got to get your content and information into a system. That's what we claim with our, with our customers is now that, now that you've, you know, we call it indexing. You're indexing this content. At least that's the starting point. It's like now we at least have a database with some information in it. Then the then the trick beyond that is now you've got to start putting some good, what we would call structured data around that information. So that's what makes it searchable. And we say structured because it, it, it shouldn't just be a word. It should be a key value pair of information. So there's like, there's a taxonomy or there's a, there's an ontology to you know, to the way that information is stored, that's hopefully standardized, and it's not just a, a random word, right? If if all we're doing is putting words on things and doing searches, that gets noisy really quick in search results. So, you know, an easy example would be, you know, if you're if you're working in Revit and you've got Revit parameters, or you know, you've got families that are in Revit. Every Revit family ha- is is created under a Revit category. It has to be a category of some type, and there's what fifty some of those now. Generic model, that's yeah. Totally. So it's like, is this a is this casework or is this a door? Well, if that was just tagged with door, it would get mixed in with everything else. But because there is structured information to know that Revit category door, and that comes into the system together, that lets us separate that from everything else that has to do with the door. It's like, no, I'm looking for a family that is of a Revit category door. Well, that's, that's just a little bit more of inform, you know, a little bit more information that lets us get smarter. You can think of it that way. So I think the, you know, back to your question of like, how does this start to get solved? It's going to mean that we've got to, we've got to digitize, you know, we got to keep digitizing and then we have to keep trying to figure out how to put better structured data around what we're digitizing because that's where the next generation of machine learning and AI type techniques, um, you know, some of the stuff that we're working on, I'll say, and theorizing about is, you know, it's not just content, but how content was created and or used. So it's, we call it the transactions that are happening. That all becomes data too, that can now start to be, you know, the, the kind of ability to be predictive, right? Hey, you just did this. We've, we know you've done this in the past. So I can now proactively bring something to you. And I've, that's what I've kind of talked about over the last few years is the real problem isn't that, I mean, the problem is that there's data. The problem is all the systems that we have today start with Windows File Explorer means you've got to go there 
and have some semblance of going to that information and knowing you know, the search has never, ever usually been good, very good. So it's like um, people try to navigate to that information through memory. But if you didn't know about it, then you have a really hard time trying to find it. So the, I think that the, the next generation of this, the next wave of technology has got to be, do we have enough information around this that we can queue up and bring you the, ne- the piece of information or, or a small subset of information that you're now going to be able to peruse or say, yeah, that, that's it. And, and I didn't have to go on a wild goose chase from scratch, right, to go get it. And I think the only way that that happens or, or the start of it is you've got to have good metadata or structured information around that in order for us to now think about how to write, how to leverage technology to, to, to do those kinds of what would seem futuristic, but are, you know, you can, you can, it happens right now with auto suggest, right? Like on the phone, Yep. when you're typing a word and it's like, well, this is the next most likely thing you're trying to type. There it is. Pops up right there. Just tap it. The words there. And then it's giving you what usually comes next in a sentence structure. (laughs) <laughs> this exactly. kind of a word exactly yeah yep so all those all that kind of stuff i think that the technology is here to begin doing that it's just a matter of now back to where we started are people willing to change right it's like if people are are holding on to this is the way we've been doing it for you know name your number of years it's like yeah but that's not sustainable moving forward you're going to have to do you think though that that's where ai really comes in this is where machine learning can can be tapped to look at the way that we've always done things and start to build a rule set specific to individuals teams and office etc to make these kind of predictive suggestions that you're talking about um, because it's a similar project that you've done before it's got a similar similar number type of program or whatever i could definitely you you guys have ai in your name i'm looking at the sign right behind your head (laughs) it's got to be it yeah i wouldn't i don't claim to be a a, uh, you know an ai expert machine learning expert um but i you know i think that yeah, I think that 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 you can start to see maybe a couple of different directions. One would be, yes, can you find, you know, can you find patterns across data and those become related in some way, or you know, you can see that. And then, you know, one way to think about that is that the data are the files themselves and the data that's in the files. And then, you know, kind of what I mentioned a second ago was, you know nobody's been capturing the transactions, what I would call the transactions. When somebody searched for something and then they found something and then they did something with it. That's a hit. Yeah. Nobody's been capturing that. We've been start, you know, we're in the position to be starting to do that. So now all of a sudden that's another set of data that can go with the actual content that is about habits or, you know, like, what what are the trend, you know, I say transactions that started to happen. And if those become patterns that you can recognize, that's just another layer of information data that can go around this to start to be predictive, you know. The Yeah, and the only reason I bring up like machine learning or or AI or whatever, you know, is because you, you have to kind of do that at scale. You have to do that with a lot of information to really and that's like, could you do this on a personal you know, one to one. Yeah, you could, but where will you get and and how fast? I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today and he was talking about the NVIDIA GTC keynote 
uh, and they're indexing what was it something like a sixth of the internet every second something <laughs> to to do this to to train the model for to know what to look for what what things are so that's a huge amount of data to be crunching in an extremely fast pace and it starts to s- give you a glimpse into what's possible because this is actually happening right now this is not just some it's not in a william gibson book that's that's f- set far off into the future it's happening right now yeah it's it's happening the you know like like always like always the technology kind of becomes available and then people have to start experimenting with like where is it most useful <laughs> you know and or to rethink like you'll hear people you know say that the fallacy of humans is especially in the last 50 years is that we we can't think beyond linear thinking and when you start to have exponential change, we can't even, we can't grasp it. Yeah, it's really hard to understand. And, you know, when you do talk to people around what's going on in machine learning and AI, you know, even the experts will say, I can't understand this. But, the you know, there's there's information now coming out that no human could have ever, you know, it's just the volume. And it is because you've got volumes of data. So. The capabilities are improving. I think the good news for, you know, companies like ours, like we don't have to invent all that. You know, those are becoming platforms that we can take advantage of and just take very domain specific problems and say, can we now leverage what others, you know, before us have, have, have shown us the way. (laughs) And it's like, okay, uh, you know, you can't be an expert in everything. So it's like, we try to always just leverage and and try to keep as best track we can of like what's out there that we can bolt onto or build on top of what we're doing and take advantage of it. And sometimes, you know, I'll give an example with uh, you know machine learning. The from what I've seen on the like auto tagging of images, you know that's that's obviously uh, people are seeing that in you know their 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 private life in you know seeing. Uh, you know, searching that on your uh, Amazon face or, recognition, or, yeah, face recognition, all that, all very good. But you take like a repository of architectural, you know, imagery and yes, can you run machine learning on it? And can it find the same person in all those photos? Yes. And it's very good at that, but it's not tuned to say, find me, you know, the kinds of things that you'd want to search on inside of that database would be like, I want to see all of the uh, images that are a certain brick pattern, uh, you know, uh, with a, you know, with a condition next to glass, it's like, good luck. You're not going to get very good search results back from that. We watch the state of that technology, but then also understand it's like the worst thing you can do is try to put new technology on a problem and get like mediocre at best results. Then people just are like, oh, it doesn't work. Right. It's like, oh, well, this sucks. So we've been, we're kind of first impression is ruined. Yeah. Oh, it, it'll kill right within an environment. So we, we, we tend to be a little bit kind of just slow saying, okay, let's find very specific use cases. And then we can apply that technology. And then when it looks like it's ready for prime time around these kinds of use cases. Um, so for us, we've been just, we've been really, you know, with our customers about, you know, let's just make sure we're capturing the analytics and data and then as we can bring these new kinds of capabilities to bear, we'll have that information to, to chew on right uh, behind the scenes. So. 
I think what's interesting about this idea, it gives me a little bit of hope because I, architects in general are categorically unstructured, right? To speak about your data structuring issues that you're seeing happen. Uh, like even between two teams that sit next to each other in an office, won't name things the same, won't build things the same way, et cetera, right? In, in the same piece of software, right? So um, there's like that level of unstructured but what we're talking about here is giving me hope that that kind of won't matter in the future. And and these the software will potentially be able to still find the patterns, even though the approach was different. Yeah, I think the, you know, some of the stuff that we're working on now is around around the project. And uh, you know, let me back back up. When we talked about that this content information is in lots of different places we've started talking about kind of the the way to think about what we're trying to do at avail is to nav is we, we're using the word navigation a lot that the next problem is how does a end back to the end user how does the end user navigate right to this information that may be in lots of different places so we're thinking about it as a navigation problem and then we're still you know navigation is still kind of uh even as a word kind of as like a path to something it's really though the next step is hey, if we've got the connection to it can we bring it to you instead of you having to go to it so that's kind of a mm-hmm. that's kind of the, what i think is the thing is like how does the next phase of this not be that you're navigating and going to it but it's coming to you part of that is you've got to get the it's got to be in a database and you got to be connected to it. Right. So that's the start is to make sure that this stuff's connected to each other in the context of how does this structured information get on those pieces of information? Part of that then starts with, if I know that you're working on a specific project and you've created a new piece of information in one of these pieces, hundred pieces of software that you're using, we could, we should be able to automatically add some more value to that what project this is, what's the context of which this is being generated and worked on. So all of that starts to be, you know, the next layer of information that helps you to get back to it in the future, because now there's some more contextual information that didn't require you to necessarily go, you know, you should just keep working to create environments where when you're doing that work, we're trying to add as much extra information as possible. Then when it gets stored there, it's it's got better metadata and better structured data around it to know how to pull it back together and uh, without creating friction along the way because that like that's where people roll their eyes or hit the cancel button or, or whatever you know they're it it when you bombard people with questions along the way like that's the first step that I want to skip that that data input yeah we've been uh, you know one of the things that we talk about with the way that we've been building out a veil is we call the search that we kind of have built a progressive search. So the idea there being, yeah, there's going to be a search box, but it's a really tall order for me to ask you to put in enough, you know, normally people just put in a word, right? They start their search there. Well, if this is across a very large body of data, one word I don't have enough information to 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 narrow that down to some subset. So we call it progressive search because, you know, I I what I kind of challenge the team is somebody should put in something, some natural language into a search box. And then 
we should bring back enough information to be able to ask them a couple of more questions. Like you should be like, can you tell me this? Or can you tell me that? I think it's really interesting though. Like as we're working now on, on this kind of project level, it's like, if we know you're in a certain project, that is also a narrowing effect of like, okay, we can, we know the project type that you're on. So we can, we can get rid of, you know, mm-hmm. 90 stuff that doesn't apply. Yeah. We can right? get rid of like, a. so I think it's, you know, that's another good way to think about this is that the problem shouldn't always be that we've got this giant body of information that we're going to search across and find something. It's more of like, I need to understand your context so that I can take out 99% of that information and say it's irrelevant. So now the search becomes in the context of what we know that you're doing or trying to do. So it's some combination of both sides of this, right? So you're talking about like, moving from needle in a haystack to needle in a hay bale. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's how your brain is wired as well, right? Humans are the, the sensory input is designed to filter out 90 plus percent of the, what's available at any moment because you just can't handle it all. It's way too much information. It's a really good way to think about it, uh, Evan, because if you go look, you know, I've, I do, I read some interesting stuff about just humans biology. It's like, if we didn't have these mechanisms, we would go crazy. Like the world is yeah, way more random much. and, you know, sensory than we think, but we've been, you know, biologically, we are wired to filter out a lot because you would, you would go nuts. Right. And uh, so, yeah, we have to, maybe we mimic those systems to think about how to build technology that can help work in the same way. Right. There's a, yeah. It's always a good yeah. lesson. Look at look at what nature's done and see if you right. can mimic it in some way. So when it comes to content agnostics that we were talking about a while ago, and and thinking about all the different teams who sit in an office, there there's definitely like the AE team, like you alluded to, but there's also the marketing team and the accounting team and the specifications team. And there's so when it comes to content platforms and exposing well first of all housing all that stuff like you said you kind of don't care where it is and you kind of don't care what it is can you give some examples about the kinds of things that you guys are seeing and how you're how you're dealing with that how how are you going beyond the ae team with avail yeah um so the the major types of information that we see our customers you know putting in avail or using avail in front of describe it like that Number one, about about fifty percent of the the information that's in avail is what we would generically call, you know, BIM and CAD related technical files. We we kind of refer to it. So it's it's the Revit files, the the AutoCAD BIM or uh, MicroStation DGN files, or you know, Rhino, SketchUp, any of that. We kind of put under that umbrella. So about half of the information that we're seeing is kind of technical information you know, 3D file formats and those types of things. And then the next big bucket is photos, photography. So lots of imagery. And that that spans from marketing to job site, you know, uh, dailies, right? That are, you know, people out doing site surveys and things like that, bringing information back. And then the kind of last piece, major piece or documents of some type. So it's it's either, you know, Microsoft Word documents, Excel documents, PDF you know, some sort of encoded document. And then about 5% of it is kind of everything else kind of scattered. So uh, tend to be those, those that that's where the content's being generated or in those kinds of 
pieces of software that are for that. I think, um, and this kind of goes back to, you know, we're, we're trying to put together our agenda for this fall's confluence event that we talked about earlier. I think what we're going to be talking about this year is around, uh, around how these, I'll just say technology and software platforms talk to each other. So part, part of what's, you can see this across the board and ourselves included, you know, there needs to be APIs. There needs to be the ability for, for one piece of software or one system to query another system and for there to be an exchange of data. And then, you know, if you think about it that, then it's like, then these systems need to have good structured data in them so that this information can, that these systems can talk to each other. So a really simple example that I give, we've been working on a new feature called related content. So the idea is that a file that's inside of a veil or being, you know, accessed inside of a veil very rarely in this world is, you know, that's usually some idea or it's a representation of an idea. So if that was, uh, it might be a Revit family, but there's specs that go with it, or there might be actually one of our customers last week said, here's a great example. They pulled up photos of a site condition where they, in their learning system, try to show like when you draw this and you've been pulling this detail out, this is what it actually looks like right on the job site, which was a, it was a great example, but those are in different systems, right? It's like, this is over here. This is over here. So we're trying to, 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 you know, to bring those back together, leave them in those systems, but present them together. And I use specs, you know, along those same same lines. It's like, you can imagine having like a master format parameter in your Revit family. And if you've got that good structured data in there, could one system go query a spec system for, Hey, give me specs that go with this, you know, particular item. So that's a good example where you've got to have, that's what I would call good structured data means that those things can now talk to each other and without manually having to go do it, just maintain data in these different systems. And we should now be able to wire those together and say, I can, I can query that one and pull that information right uh, just in time uh, and dynamically pull these things together. So I think um, I think that's the next piece of this is we've got these systems now and most of the software companies have some semblance of APIs. If we can get good APIs and get good structured data, we can start you know making these things talk to each other and pull information from each other. I could see that being huge benefit, especially to young architects who are haven't done it before as an example, right? Like thinking about architects who think about assemblies and not necessarily specific products. And if you were to like identify one product, then it would be easier to suggest things that go along with that in the assembly, or you definitely would filter out this stuff because it's not even the construction type you're talking about. There, there would be things like that. And I, I remember talking to Scott Reynolds at Upcodes about this in particular, which was ownership of the code the building code during the process and by ownership i mean like involvement right with all the members of the team instead of just one gray-haired guy hunched over in the corner who just does code compliance kind of stuff checking on something somebody else drew no it's like okay if if this thing is watching what you're modeling watching the clearances or whatever it can actually give suggestions on how other architects even in your own office, have solved this problem before. And even if you're just doing some kind of initial 
feasibility, constructability kind of a thing. It's like, well, you, these are your three options for building types. It's like, and you can get these certain, if you can, if you can apply these certain exclusions, then you can do this, which would just give you opportunities to then ask some questions, like you're saying, and then answer those. And it would just start to build this understanding and narrative for somebody who doesn't necessarily know even the right questions to ask in the beginning. And I could see how all of these players that are kind of handling their own specialty, like you're talking about, but they can talk in the background to apply domain-specific knowledge contextualized to the problem at hand would be huge, would be absolutely huge. Yeah, I think you're you're hitting, you know, these are these are the big kinds of things I think that the industry needs to to do. You know, they part of it is language. So knowledge capture, you know, we've talked about this. Knowledge capture is probably the, you know, I hear this a lot in the firms. The people that understand how to build and construct and put a building together are usually the most mature people. And what happens when somebody retires? Experience. Yeah, you know, it's not only retirement, but you know, there's also lots of turnover. I think I, I was reading. Uh, I think the industry has like twelve percent churn. So you can think about that. It's like twelve percent of your employees in the industry are are switching jobs every year. So that's twelve percent of your knowledge capture is walking out the door. So now it gets more important to have encoded that knowledge um, in some way. So you got to have knowledge capture. And then if you've captured the knowledge, can you have a system, you know, bring that forward and or train, you know, is available at least to train the next generation of people coming in. And, you know, I think most people think about that as being a 22 year old that's just gotten out of school and maybe never built anything needing to obviously absorb a lot of that knowledge. But I think you can also think about it as just, you know, even somebody that's had experience, they haven't had your experience, they haven't worked with your clients. And so it's capturing the the vertical maybe that you operate in the specifics around a client that you might have had that has very specific requirements it's like all that has to start to be thought about being encoded and then people can get to it can they can they get to a system and learn as quickly as they can and be up to speed and be productive as quickly or like i've even done a project uh many projects on schools where they have district standards or you might have a client that has does campus wide or multiple campuses and they have set these standards and it's like why waste your time doing something that will never make it into this project because they have a standard for that i also think about this in context of the current or slightly recently work situation where people aren't in the office and there isn't aren't the opportunities for osmosis that there used to be right with just walking by and seeing something somebody talk striking up a conversation that leads to what you're working on and a problem you're trying to solve and oh i've got an idea for that if if there is this kind of knowledge that's captured it could hopefully start to solve some of those problems that aren't necessarily getting any better if people aren't going back to offices or think that i can handle all this just by scheduling a zoom meeting with somebody no like this is the stuff that happens serendipitously you you don't know when it's going to happen you don't know why it's going to happen it just happens and and there's a lot of learning and knowledge transfer that happens inside of offices because of that and that's that's definitely gone down quite a bit in the last few years yeah and uh you know, hopefully there's an equal and equal opposite positive upside to not being there. Right? I don't know how to describe that, but you know, those are, those are the hard things to predict, right? There's going to be something that happens because of this. 
being forced to do this, it's a positive outcome. But but I would claim, um, yeah, that you're missing the serendipity, uh, you know, that happens around conversations and overhearing something and, you know, inject, you know, when people are in offices together and around each other, those, uh, those kinds of interactions happen. And I don't know what the equal and opposite, you know, positive response is going to be. It's hard to predict. Um, the, uh, but for sure, you've got to, you got to be capturing, capturing that information. It's got to be being encoded. And I think that's the, I think that's probably the new, the new problem is, you know, how, how do you do this at scale and, um, and, and capture it and code it and try to, for a lot of firms that becomes their value, right? Their value proposition is knowing and being efficient at doing this. And those, so I would, I would argue that those that are investing in that and thinking about it and getting are, are, are good at it uh, will be the, the ones that will now outpace others that, that, that don't. And there's, you know, there, I think there's a human, you know, back to the, back to the user, the end user. There's also maybe, maybe one of the reasons that there's 12%. If I got that number right, you should double check me. But it was like, um, if there's that much turnover going on, job hopping, part of that, a lot of times it's just job satisfaction. And, you know, some of that is just the frustration with, you know, like, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. So the more that you're investing in this, making their job not mundane, like, and bringing, you know, making it more fulfilling, right? And whatever that means, <laughs> then, then maybe that's part of retaining uh, employees as well in the future. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Is there is there anything that you want to leave the audience with as far as um, things that you guys are concerned about, working on, call to action, where they can follow you, kind of final thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, we're just we're really concentrated on, on this where problem, you know, like I said, it's, it's been, we've been kind of honing in on it the last two or three years. And now, you know, I think uh, we're getting confirmation that yes, it is the new problem. So we're, we've got some new features coming out that, you know, allow avail to work very much more fluidly inside of the BIM 360 environments and where cloud hosted content is uh, that we've been working on that are coming and then, you know, I think the, uh, continuing to work on this idea of knowledge capture and getting this information into these systems. And like I was alluding, I think this fall, as we bring people together for this Confluence event, we'll, uh, we're going to be trying to talk about how these systems start to talk to each other. So that's, I, I've started calling it the connective tissue, right? It's like, okay, we've got all these different things that we're using, but, you know, those are silos uh, per se. And um, I think most people on the technology side, and or practice practicing in the design technology side, understand that these silos don't go away. We're just going to have more of them. So now how do the silos talk to each other? And and is there this connective tissue that starts to happen? So the technology is there. We're seeing it in all kinds of places. We just have to keep, keep working on it in this domain and, uh, and trying to keep improving and keep letting, letting our customers produce better buildings, better built environment faster. The last uh, few months, I've been, you know, people that have heard me, I'm like, I am amazed. Once you dig into what it takes to build a building and how much information is flowing, it's like, it's amazing that anything gets built. So, you know, <laughs> kudos, kudos, you know, the, the, the people in the industry doing this are fighting, you know, the good fight. It's a, it's a 
it's a really tough problem to solve. And for those of us that are working on it, rolling those sleeves up, you know, kudos. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in it for the long haul, uh, trying to do our part uh, to help, uh, help solve this as well. So, Fantastic. Well, Randall, thank you. Until next time, let's do this again. All right. Thanks, Evan. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Troxel Podcast. And once again, I would like to thank Arc IT for sponsoring this episode. Visit their website at getarcit, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com. Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this podcast episode. Visit bqe.com slash masterclass to register for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for eTroxel. Talk to you soon.